It is the Built by Bama Online podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com. And today, we're going to go in depth, a little bit of a preseason look at Alabama's 2019 regular season football schedule. And joining me to do that today is Charlie Potter. Does an outstanding job covering the Alabama Crimson Tide in all aspects for BamaOnline.com. Charlie, have you uh, have you enjoyed this this All Star break for our Braves as they prepare to just overwhelm the Washington Nationals and the Philadelphia Phillies over the second half of the MLB season? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, they're sitting pretty right now, um, you know, entering the the second half of the season. I thought, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr., I didn't expect him to go out and win the home run derby, but I thought he had a good showing. Uh, it's always fun to to watch him knock balls out of the park. And, um, you know, Freddie Freeman's Mr. Consistency did a good job. So, yeah, looking forward to the second half of the season. I hope, um, you know, they can keep it up. We'll see what happens with the rotation and the bullpen and, and things like that with pitching because the offense is there. Um, you know, we'll see if they can maybe add an addition or two. Um from a pitching staff perspective, to keep up with these Dodgers because they're going to be tough to beat come October. Yeah, the Dodgers are, what, 13 and a half up out in the West? It's over in the West, but um, you're right. Right now, it looks like the Braves just going to have to try to outslug people. Uh, And an all-star contingent, you know, some years you look at teams that send three players to an all-star game and you're like, wow, that's that's one or two more than I would have anticipated. With the Braves, it's almost like that's it. You know, you felt like most of this lineup could have gone to Cleveland for the all-star game. Yeah. Um, you know, the starters wise, you know, it makes a lot of sense for Freddie Freeman and, and Ronald Acuna Jr. And I thought Mike Soroka um, really deserved that nod for the all-star break. But I thought, you know, some other guys might have gotten a look. Um, you know, you look at it and I think the Braves had seven positional players uh, when it came down to the voting for starting roles. And um, you, know, you look at guys like, Ozzy Albies, Dansby Swanson, you know, Josh Donaldson, Nick Markakis, Brian McCann, they've all had really good seasons. And so uh, I, I agree, but you know, I think the three guys that did go uh, make the most sense. Uh, those have been, you know, like I said, the most consistent players, and it's good to see them get that nod. Yeah, this isn't the BuiltByBraves.com podcast. <laughs> so uh, we'll shift gears and, and get more on topic here. Um, again, we appreciate you tuning in as always, and we would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the podcast and also leave a review for us. That would help us out a good bit, but it is built by Bama online. It is our podcast. Obviously we talk Alabama Crimson Tide here on the program, and we're going to start this episode from that standpoint, Charlie, with some housekeeping couple of items of particular interest as we've just learned here in the last little bit the three players that will join Nick Saban in making the short drive up 2059 around 459 there to Hoover for next week's SEC media days and based on the discussions we've had of late I know you were on top of this no real surprise to see the trio that Alabama selected to make that trip no, uh, I had a pretty good hunch that they were going to send Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Jerry Judy, and, and Dylan Moses, and, and it makes sense. You know, you see some of the All-America teams that have been rolling out 
um, you know, here at the beginning of all these preseason uh, All America teams, award watch lists, all that stuff. And and Jerry Judy and Dylan Moses are going to be featured on a lot of first team All American teams. And then you're going to have the battle between Tua Tonga and Trevor Lawrence from Clemson for that quarterback spot. And you just kind of figured Alabama is going to bring their quarterback uh, just because he's a returning starter. He does really well in the media. He's one of the the most talked about and most recognizable players in the country. Uh, I think there'd been a lot of scrutiny if, if Nick Saban and company didn't bring to it, but that was basically a foregone conclusion. But you have two guys that are going to be up for um, you know consensus and maybe unanimous All America honors at the end of the season if they stay stay healthy and productive. And, and Jerry Judy and Dylan Moses. So yeah, I think that trio they they all do pretty good uh, in front of reporters, and you know what they do on the field, so it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, a quarterback heavy SEC media days. I think the the, the reporters and those uh, covering the over a thousand uh, media types, and I say types because uh, maybe about half of that thousand is actually working the event. But um, yeah, it should be a, a lot of fun from that standpoint when you talk about star power, maybe some juice that comes with the quarterback position. Now we're going to get into our Built by Bama online podcast mailbag coming up later in the program, but what we really wanted to focus on today was this 2012 regular season schedule for the Alabama Crimson Tide, and just looking at it in its entirety there, uh, Charlie, and we're going to go game by game, but just looking at it in terms of a slate in general, I I guess not exactly one that, that blows you away if you're an Alabama fan. No, not exactly. Um, you know, I've broken the the games down from a backward standpoint, starting with Auburn and leading up to Duke, because that's the, the game we're going to be talking about, um, obviously, in the preseason, all preseason long and game week for game one. But um, it, it's not the the prettiest schedule, let's say that. It's not the most intimidating, for sure. Um, you look at uh, teams on there, like South Carolina and Texas A&M, they have far uh, worse schedules in terms of just the, the toughness. You know, South yeah. Carolina has to play uh, Clemson. A&M has to play Clemson. Uh, South Carolina opens the season with North Carolina. So there, there are teams on this schedule that have a, a way tougher road. But a lot of that, um, one of the things that Alabama can't tout on their SEC schedule is Alabama doesn't play Alabama. Um, you look at a lot of these teams, and you know, people point to a lot of SEC teams having a tough schedule. And that's because if they're a team from the SEC West or they're Tennessee or in this year, the case being South Carolina, they have Alabama on that schedule. Alabama doesn't have that luxury. And so, um, you know, this year opening the season against Duke and you know, having non-conference games against the likes of New Mexico State and, and Southern Miss and Western Carolina, it's just not that intimidating of a schedule. So um, I'm pretty sure if, if we get into predictions, and I know we have over at BOL, uh, we're going to be predicting a lot of W's. But you know, there's some hiccups along the road. There's some games that could slip up, or not maybe Alabama slip up on, but there'll be you know tougher tests than maybe expect. Yeah, well, let's start right at the top with the Duke Blue Devils, who, by the way, uh, have a win over the Alabama Crimson Tide in this illustrious series that the two have conducted with each other. You got to go back to the 19. 19- 45 Sugar Bowl, Duke 29, Alabama 26. Since that time, though, uh, 1972, Alabama with a 35 to 12 win over Duke. Uh, and then in more recent times, 2006 under Mike Shula, Alabama beats Duke. I was there. It wasn't a memorable performance for Alabama in that one, uh, but it was a W for the Crimson side. And then in the Nick Saban era, a trip 
a rare road trip uh, on on the road from the truest sense. Uh, there in Durham, Alabama put a 62 bomb on the Duke Blue Devils, 62 to 10 Alabama, uh, a team that went on to lose three games in 2010, despite being loaded with NFL talent. So that's sort of a quick rundown of the series history, three, one in favor of the Alabama Crimson side. You got David Cutcliffe, you got storylines there, Charlie, David Cutcliffe entering his 12th season at Duke as the head coach. He's a Birmingham native. He's a UA graduate. He was on the sideline for that game back in 2010 uh, in Durham for the Blue Devils. Extensive history beyond that with the Crimson Tide, both as a longtime assistant at Tennessee, 19 years there on the staff of the Vols, two different stints, and also, of course, as the head coach over in Oxford, uh, the Ole Miss Rebels. As a head coach, Phil, uh, excuse me, David Cutcliffe, Two and five all time versus the Crimson Tide. Um, help me here. Help me with some storylines beyond David Cutcliffe, Charlie, because uh, it, it's a game that's going to be played at two thirty in the afternoon. Kind of a matinee kick, which is a little bit of a rarity for Alabama in these neutral site games. Typically, they're prime time affairs. Uh, from the Duke perspective, I guess you've got some angles in the quarterback transition there. Uh, why should we be interested? Uh, other than it being the season opener in this Alabama-Duke matchup? Yeah, it's, it's tough to, to find those reasons. Um, it's not a very sexy opener like we're used to seeing them play in these um, you know, neutral site games. Um, it's a situation where you know, I talked to, to Adam Rowe of the 24-7 Sports um, Duke website, and we did kind of like 100 days out Q&A back and forth. And, you know, Breaking it down at the end, just asking him, you know, how is what are his thoughts of the the game, his overall thoughts, you know, how did he see things playing out? Maybe, you know, what do you think whenever he heard the game was happening? And you know, he quickly said that this is a money grab for Duke, and you know that makes sense. And Alabama fans know that Alabama gets a pretty hefty paycheck from these neutral side games, and um, a lot of the times they're playing in NFL stadiums or in places where um, Alabama does a lot of recruiting. We see them play games in Florida and Texas. Uh, a lot of games over in Atlanta, which is where this game is going to be. So um, it, it's not a very exciting game. I do think people, um, especially obviously Alabama fans, are excited to see this Alabama team get back on the field. Uh, but, but just from a matchup standpoint, an opponent standpoint, it's not something that they're going to be you know, jumping up and down for. Um, it may have been a little bit more exciting had Duke, uh, had Daniel Jones returning to quarterback. But for a second straight year, you have uh, a guy that was drafted in the first round of the NFL draft not returning. Uh, under center for Alabama season open opponent last year, you know, Alabama opened the, the year against Duke and Lamar Jackson wasn't there for the Cardinals. And it would have made for a, you know, a more interesting matchup, obviously, if you had a, a former Heisman trophy winner. And now uh, what we now know is a number six overall pick by the New York Giants and Daniel Jones. So, um, you know, they're going to be breaking in a new quarterback. He's an experienced quarterback, a registered senior and in, in Quentin Harris. And uh, he's a guy that's kind of, you know, dealt with a little bit of um, you know accuracy issues, uh, and that's never a good thing whenever you're going up against an Alabama team, especially one that has a lot of veterans returning in the secondary. But yeah, I mean, when you just look at um, storylines of interest or things that you're going to be talking about in game week, probably not going to be talking a lot about Duke once we get to the, uh, the end of August, that's for sure. Yeah, we might even have to go back to Wallace Wade, you know, back into the 20s for this one. 
Charlie, the former Alabama head coach who went 61-13-3 in Tuscaloosa and coached that uh, certainly memorable uh, 1925 Alabama team and that Rose Bowl story that really went a long, long way in establishing uh, Alabama as a football power east of the Mississippi. Uh, Wallace Wade eventually moved on to Duke. Two different stints with the Blue Devils. It was so good that they uh, they named the football stadium after Wallace Wade over there in Durham, North Carolina. So I think, Charlie, safe to say we both got that as a season opening W for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I think we could probably say the same about the very next week. The first ever meeting, Charlie, between the Aggies, two Aggies on the schedule this year for Alabama, the Aggies of New Mexico State. And the Alabama Crimson Tide, talk about paycheck games. Uh, This is another one for an Alabama opponent. Uh, New Mexico State has played just over 1,100 college football games in its school history, and it has won just 434 of those. Uh, Meanwhile, Alabama has twice as many wins on the football field with over 900 victories. Here's something to put it in perspective for you in terms of the stature of the two programs. New Mexico State with 53 draft picks all time. I'm talking about draft picks, any round. Alabama has 64 first-round NFL draft picks alone in its program history. Uh, I guess we don't need to spend a ton of time on this one, Charlie? No. um, I spent a lot of time researching the Aggies because this is New Mexico State week on my off-season schedule. I'm going to take a week for SEC Media Days next week because that's going to have all my attention and then pick up with Duke for the week before fall camp starts. But, you know, there's, there's not a lot out there on the Aggies. There's not a lot of people <laughs> that, that cover them. Uh, they don't do a lot of press conferences. They're, they're an independent team and held their first spring game in the spring. And I didn't find a post-game press conference or interviews from anybody in the spring. So there's just not a lot of attention over there. Um, you know, they're coming off a 3-9 and nine season. Uh, they returned 14 starters. Uh, like you said, this is going to be the first ever meeting. So yeah, there's not really storylines from the past. Uh, it's a team that Alabama is going to be expected to to beat heavily. Uh, you know, they, it could be a situation where week two of the season, uh, we hear um, you know after Nick Saban's Monday press conference that Alabama is not having practice that day. It's a situation uh, yeah. where you know they're they're facing an opponent that they're going to be expected to beat and, and beat badly and um yeah i mean they have their, their quarterback coming back they have some talented running backs and a couple of guys on the, the defensive side that can get after the quarterback but it's about it um you know it, it feels bad not giving them a lot of attention i probably said more than i should uh, when it comes to new mexico <laughs> state but that's just that's just the life that it is and you know we talked about this schedule not being that sexy and and these first two games and some of these non-conference games is is where that's the the most prevalent yeah, the biggest losers on uh, September the 7th, probably the fans, because that 3 o'clock kickoff uh, <laughs> on that day could be uh, brutal in terms of the heat. And the only stat New Mexico State cares about is the, the numbers on that check uh, that they're going to take back with them to Las Cruces, uh, New Mexico, in the wake of what should be a, a wide, wide margin in favor of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Now, the next week is when things get interesting because a true road contest, the SEC opener for the Alabama Crimson Tide, as it goes back to Columbia, the place where in 2010, the last SEC Eastern Division team to beat Alabama, crazy when you think about it that way, 
it was the South Carolina Gamecocks that got the job done. You talk about a hot afternoon uh, in September. It was certainly that in Columbia on that day. And while Alabama leads this series, Charlie, 12-3, the Gamecocks have won three out of the last five with Lou Holtz getting a couple of those Ws in 2001 and 2004. Uh, Alabama 5-3 and three versus South Carolina since the Gamecocks joined the league in 1992. Um, plenty of storylines here, too, uh, not just in terms of the last time Alabama went to Columbia, but perhaps a quarterback for South Carolina and an offense in general that might be able to test Alabama in some ways that certainly Duke and New Mexico State will not be able to. Yeah, um, you know, this one, we've talked about the first two games. We're not going to be hurting for storylines this week. Uh, I know probably everybody in that room is going to write the same story from 2010. It's, it's going to be kind of annoying, honestly, that week when it rolls around. But I think South Carolina has a pretty good team. Um, you know, Jake Bentley's back at quarterback. Uh, they don't have Debo Samuel um, coming back at receiver and as a returner, and he's a very explosive playmaker. But a guy like Brian Edwards, a wide receiver, uh, it's going to be a really big threat for them. I think he's going to probably end up on my All-SEC team uh, next week in Hoover. And, uh, you know, they have some playmakers on the defensive side of the ball as well. You know, Javon Kinlaw is a guy I remember from uh, the recruiting process, just, you know, hearing names that maybe Alvin was mentioned with. And he obviously has a, a unique name, so that one sticks out a little bit. And, and T.J. Brunson, who led the team uh, with 100-plus tackles last year. So they have some playmakers. Uh, it's also going to be a week where Al or Nick Saban's going against a, a former assistant and Will Muschamp. That always, you know, sparks some kind of storyline, some kind of question to Nick Saban about Muschamp and his experience and memories of him. But you, know, you mentioned their offense. Um, yeah, I think it does uh, have some potential. But you know, just just looking at it and, and going through you know the week where you know you look at the opponent, you see what they're saying, you break down the top players, and you make a prediction. Um, Jake Bentley doesn't have the same kind of players around him that, you know, Steven Garcia did back in 2010. There's no Marcus Lattimore. Uh, you know, Brian Edwards is a good receiver, but he's not Alshon Jeffrey. Um, you have Stephon Gilmore. Those guys, like, they're not walking through that door. And one of the big things that Will Muschamp was talking about uh, in the spring, whether it was before the spring game or after, and I'm sure he'll address it uh, next week in Hoover, is how much you know, they turn the football over and how few turnovers the defense got last year. If that's going to be the same case, I know it's going to be a point of emphasis for them this offseason and the preseason, but if, if that kind of carries over a little bit, especially early in the season, if you turn the ball over on offense and you can't get turnovers on defense, you're not going to beat this Alabama team, a Nick Saban coach team. So uh, they're going to have to do some work there. And like I said, they don't have the same horses they had back in 2010. So um, you know, if you're going to ask, I do think Alabama's going to win this game, but it's going to be probably the first test of the season. You know, Like I said, they have some talent. Uh, it's going to be in Columbia. That uh, atmosphere is probably going to be electric. I wish it was a night game, but it's going to be the, the third straight game around a three o'clock uh, kick. And so it's going to be hot. Um, everybody's going to need to be hydrated, me included, you included, everybody that shows up in the press box. So, uh, But that's going to be, I think, the most interesting one of the season, at least you know, out the gate. The first two um, you know, aren't as attractive in terms of opponent and difficulty, but this South Carolina team, I think, is going to be you know, the first one that, I guess, gets people's attention. Yeah, and for South Carolina, the trick is to make sure you take care of North Carolina in that opener in Charlotte. You know, if you do that, uh, you, you've got a, a, a W in week two, and now you're looking at, at a just raucous environment. And for whatever you think about South Carolina and its inability to achieve and win at a high level on a consistent basis, 
when when that fan base has a reason to to show up and be loud, uh, they rank with with any in the Southeastern Conference. And assuming that South Carolina does take care of North Carolina and is two and zero, at least early on in that game on September the fourteenth, you're going to get the sandstorm experience. You're going to get the space odyssey uh, entrance with the smoke and and everything else. And so uh, it has the potential to be a, a, a very, very uh, motivated and juiced crowd there at williams Bryce Stadium. Uh, as we move along in September, Southern Mississippi comes back on the Alabama schedule. These teams have played 43 times, uh, so it used to be pretty much an annual tradition. Southern Miss was kind of that redheaded stepchild that wasn't an SEC team but played largely it seemed like anyway, an SEC schedule. Uh, and most of USM's success, notable success anyway, seems like it's come either early in tenures of Alabama head coaches or late. Uh, you had USM getting one of the very few true road wins in Tuscaloosa during the Paul Bear Bryant tenure at Alabama, late in Coach Bryant's uh, time uh, as the head coach at Alabama. Uh, you also had USM getting a win over Mike Dubos in his final year at the helm. Um, and then also Gene Stallings' first season back in 1990 with Brett Favre uh, coming off a car accident, of all things, uh, getting the job done 27-24 over the Crimson side. But as far as the Nick Saban era goes, it's been limited to one meeting, and that was a 52-12 to win for the Crimson side back in 2014. Charlie, I know you've done your research on the Golden Eagles. Looks like offensively there's some potential there uh, with quarterback Jack Abraham coming back, Quest Watkins at wide receiver. Um, but in terms of matching up with Alabama, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, they have nine starters returning, and you, you mentioned Quez. He's a guy that, you know, it's his eligibility is up in the air because of some academic reasons. And, you know, he's, I think he was taking summer classes. I think he's back on campus and they're hopeful uh, that he'll be able to return for the 2019 season. But I still think that's uh, undecided and, and up in the air, but uh, you know, nine, nine starters returning um, from a team that won six games last year and is looking to secure its fifth straight winning season. Um, you know, it's a, it's a quality uh, opponent. You, you would like to see this maybe be the, the worst of the non-conference opponents if you're an Alabama fan, but as is the case, or as is the way in scheduling these days, uh, that isn't the case. But they're going to be breaking in a new offensive coordinator and Buster Faulkner and just seeing what the, the players said in the spring. Um, you know, there, there's more tempo. Uh, it, it seems like that's that's what every new coach says. You, I remember that, um, you know, cut up of the new basketball hires all across the country, Nate Oates included, and every one of them wants to play fast. And that's also the case in football. So, um, you know, the Eagles are going to look to play fast. Uh, they have six returning starters on defense and, um, you know, we'll see, you know, what happens, but, you know, this is another game where, um, you're coming off of what could be a, a tough, tough fight game up in, in Columbia. You never know. And you're going to have to, you'll play another SEC opponent and they'll miss the following week. So we'll see how Alabama gets up for this. I could see this being maybe a, a Wednesday blow up for Nick Saban during his press conference, just because it's in between SEC games, but, um, you know, Alabama defense, it, it could be tested early, but I think it's going to be a, a situation where, you know, Alabama, um, you know, takes care of business in this one. Yeah. And you want to talk about a spot where you can honor a former Alabama. Great. What about Tyrone Prothrow? 
and that iconic yeah. uh, catch uh, from 14, 15 years ago now uh, that he had right there at Bryant-Denny Stadium uh, that, that would be maybe a good spot to to bring back a, a guy who unfortunately had his career cut far too short by injury and that went over Florida in 2005. Uh, I don't know if there's another opponent that a former Alabama player is associated with the most as Tyrone Prothrow with Southern Miss. No, I mean, you're right. That would be awesome. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if that's in the works for Alabama, but it should be. That should be something that, that Greg Byrne and company are, are trying to get done where, you know, he just comes out during a TV timeout, during the, yeah. you know, in the first quarter, in the third quarter, whatever. And uh, that'll definitely get the crowd uh, energized. Uh, you know, it's, I'm eager to see when that kickoff will be. It could be a, a fourth <laughs> straight week of, um, you know, three o'clock on SEC Network. But, um, you know, regardless of the temperature outside and, and the time of day that the game is, that is certainly something that if he's out there on the field, Alabama fans would definitely love that. The very next week, you alluded to it, Alabama jumps back into SEC play against another opponent from the Magnolia State, this one Ole Miss, another series that Alabama has absolutely dominated, 51-10-2, the Crimson Tide is, against Ole Miss. We do know, though, 2014-2015, Ole Miss, by I guess you could say any means necessary, got the job done. Uh, against Alabama under Hugh Freeze. Hugh no longer, of course, the head coach over in Oxford. Um, you look at the Rebels, you've got some you've got some turnover uh, for that offense, especially with those top three receivers. As we know, Jordan Tamu has moved on. you got coordinator changes on both sides of the ball. Rich Rodriguez comes in as the offensive coordinator. Former Colorado head coach Mike McIntyre takes over the defense. Um Looking at this Ole Miss team, uh, some some guys that maybe stand out to you. And also, I guess, an interesting game, Charlie, because uh, the, the four-game suspension for a player or two from the Alabama perspective should be over, and perhaps we see those guys back on the field. Yeah, that would be really interesting that week because Deontay Brown, uh, the offensive guard, and tight end Edric James uh, you know, should be making their returns. And those are two guys that could help out an offense that's already going to be one of the best in the country, but um, you know, Ole Miss is, is taking some hits on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, like you mentioned, um, you know, they're going to be returning only three starters on that side and uh, breaking in a new quarterback and Matt Corral. And he's going to be a guy that's at SEC media days. I thought he was maybe the most interesting of the quarterbacks making the trip outside of maybe Kelly Bryant at Missouri. So um, he's a young guy that's going to be taking over this offense. He's going to have some help in that backfield with Scotty Phillips. Um, you know, who was on pace to, to rush for a thousand yards last season, but you know, just finished uh, a few yards short because of an injury in the final three games of the year. But um, you know, having to replace those receivers is going to be tough for Ole Miss. A. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Demarcus Lodge, they're not back. Uh, you know, a guy like Elijah Moore is maybe someone that could step up there, but it's going to be really, really tough to replace that production um, and, and that leadership and that physicality. Those are some big, big dudes in A.J. Brown and, and D.K. Metcalf. And we saw what D.K. Metcalf was able to do in the first play of the game last year. Uh, I know Alabama went on to – to basically blow them out the rest of the game, but that's a talented group and, and tough to replace. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, you know they have some some familiar names on the defensive front, guys like Benito Jones and Josiah Coatney. Um, but you know it's a situation where you know this is a team that <laughs> allowed a lot of points to Alabama last year. I know they returned eight starters. Uh, maybe that could be the strength of the defense. Uh, but it's a defense that you know needs to improve. Um, you know they were ranked last in the SEC. 
in scoring defense, allowing more than 36 points a game. In total defense, allowing almost 500 yards a game, about 483, I believe. And, and in rushing defense, allowing more than 220 yards per game. So they're going to have to improve on defense. Um, you know, we'll see if, if the new coordinator changes, if Mike, Mike McIntyre can can get those guys into shape and to get them doing what he wants them to do. But um, with so much attrition on the offensive side of the ball and then you know so much changes when it comes to um, terminology and, and approaches from these coaches, um, you know, it, it's going to be a tough game for Ole Miss, that's for sure, in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I think that the switch to Rich Rod might be favorable to Ole Miss because of the personnel losses that Ole Miss has on that side of the ball. Because Rich Rod, while he's going to spread the field, they're going to be much more run-oriented than they were under Phil Longo. So, you know, those losses at wide receiver might not be as impactful given the switch in style of play. But up front, Ole Miss has a lot to address, too, on the offensive side of the ball. So while you say, you know, this could be an offensive approach that could help protect that defense more than Phil Longo's sort of air raid concepts did, you still got to have the people you know, to, to pull it off. And other than Scotty Phillips, and I think Matt Corral as a quarterback is athletic enough to help in the run game. Uh, yeah, the, it just, when you look at Ole Miss right now in general, you know, the thing that you go back to is personnel. And, and I think you touched on it with Benito Jones and Josiah uh, Coatney. I think those are two legit SEC pieces up front on defense, just not enough to go around, uh, to go around those guys. Um, an off week follows that Ole Miss game for Alabama. Then it's on to what could be one of the more anticipated matchups of the first half of the the regular season with the trip to Texas A&M. Alabama leads the series 9-2. Alabama is 4-0 all-time in College Station. Again, coming off the bye week, um, similar to the South Carolina game in some ways, I think, Charlie, because as we sit here in the preseason, we're, we're, we're envisioning – uh, just a huge game atmosphere in College Station. But, uh, once again, an opponent for Alabama that has some serious prior business to attend to when you look at the trip to Clemson and then Auburn going to College Station and even Arkansas in Arlington for Texas A&M. There's, there's three games right there for Texas A&M that you know, are either-or type games before the Aggies even get to Alabama at home. Yeah, there's going to be no looking ahead for them. And the fact that the, the bye week falls right before this Texas A&M game, I think is really big for Alabama because, um, you know, they're going to have plenty of time to plan. Um, you know, they're not going to be in the Ole Miss game really looking ahead. And, you know, Ole Miss is a team that, while well, I think that, you know, they could maybe do some things on the field this season, they're not a team that's going to be threatening Alabama, so it could be a team that Alabama overlooks. So I think the way it falls in the schedule, I know uh, that they would love to have it in Tuscaloosa, but um, I think it sets up nicely for Alabama. Um, you know, the Aggies are a team that return 11 starters, six on offense, five on defense. Um, you know, Kellen Mond and his receivers are back. I know that, that they lost. Um, uh, they're, they're tied in, Jay Sternberger and um, – Travion Williams at running back, but you know the receivers that were out there making plays, especially in that um, you know long ass game against Texas or LSU, uh, they're all back and they have that familiarity with with Kellen Mond, who's another year older, and we've seen what he's done uh, against Alabama, especially in college. I thought he had a really good um, you know first game experience uh, in Aggie Land against Alabama the last time out, and so uh, that's going to be an interesting uh, dynamic and see how that develops and and how he progresses. 
uh, in his third year. And, um, you know, you look at the defensive line, at the defensive front, really, um, you know, the Aggies take a, a lot of big hits there. Um, you know, you guys like, you know, Dalen Mack are gone. Um, you know, Kingsley Kiki, uh, those guys aren't coming back. So they're going to have to replace a lot there. Um, you know, if they're not able to get, uh, you know, pass rush from Alabama and, and Tua Tonga Bailoa, um, you know, he's going to have an opportunity to, to have a big day. Uh, I know they have some playmakers uh, in the back end, guys like Leon O'Neill at safety. But, um, you know, if guys like Bobby Brown, a former Alabama commit, um, you know, they have a five-star coming in and, and DeMarvin Leal, uh, if they can't get pressure on Tua, uh, it's, it might be a long day for the Aggies. Yeah, and even at the linebacker level, Tyrell Dodson's been a fixture the last few years. He moves on. Otara Alaka uh, moves on. You mentioned Kiki and Mac. Those are some some legit pieces to that front seven that are now looking to make rosters uh, in the National Football League. And for me, and and I and, and I agree. You know, Mond in spots has really flashed. Uh, we saw it here in Tuscaloosa last year. We saw both sides of Kellen Mond. We saw that that playmaking ability that is so tantalizing, and you know it's what Jimbo Fisher sees and thinks, man, the ceiling for this guy is so high because even more so than his arm in the game against Alabama here a year ago, what he did with his legs. He rushed for nearly 100 yards in that game. Um, and if you take sacks out of it he, he surpassed the 100 yard mark I believe uh, but then he'll do some things with the ball in the air or, or from the turnover perspective that just leaves you scratching your head more so than even the Alabama game if you look back at the performance against Auburn especially late uh, at Jordan Hare last season it, it was a debacle um, I just can't decide where I'm at right now you know with Kellen Mond I think he's more tease than he is anything else, but playing at home. Uh, and again, we'll see how it goes with Clemson on the road, Auburn uh, there at Kyle Field, and then Arkansas and, and Jerry World. Um, just a lot to happen before Alabama, before we have a real good idea of where this A&M team is going to stack up. The very next week, uh, it is Tennessee and Tuscaloosa. Jeremy Pruitt, Charlie, gets his second shot at his old boss, this time back in Tuscaloosa, Alabama has won 12 straight in the series. To put that into perspective, my youngest child was in pre-kindergarten the last time Tennessee beat Alabama. She'll be a senior in high school in a couple weeks. That That's how far back we're talking here. You know, you got Jared Guarantano back at the quarterback position. He's taken a couple of beatings uh, against Alabama in this, this series. So, you know, I'm left to, to wonder, Charlie, from a line of scrimmage standpoint, in year two under Jeremy Pruitt, will the Vols be at a point where they can legitimately compete uh, with Alabama? Yeah, that's going to be one of the more interesting things to see. Uh, yeah, they have a lot of experience coming back um, just from their total team aspect. They have 18 starters returning, nine on offense, seven on defense. So it's an, it's an experienced team, but uh, it's a team that kind of had a roller coaster year last year. You know, they've had big wins over Auburn and, and Kentucky, and um, maybe some losses that fans weren't that excited or happy with. Um, so it, it's it's just a situation where he's a you know a young coach in terms of a head coaching experience. He has a lot of young players getting those players that fit his system in and, and, and doing well. And, you know, he's a, their team that I think a lot of people believe is on the rise. And I, but I do believe what you said, I agree. 
Um, you know, what are they going to be able to do in the trenches? We, we see Jared Garantano's back, and yeah, he has taken some beatings in Alabama in the past, from Alabama in the past. You know, can that offensive line keep him upright? Can that defensive line apply pressure on, on Tua Tonga Bailoa and keep the running backs from ripping off big games like we've seen in the past? Um, if they can, it'll be interesting. I'm not going out here and saying that, that Tennessee is going to snap this uh, winning streak and, and stop it from getting to 13 games, but uh, I think with Jeremy Pruitt, um, you know, with him getting his guys in and, and getting some transfers in, I'll be interested to see what happens with guys like Aubrey Solomon, um, you know, the former Michigan defensive lineman. If he can get players like that on the field and and get these recruits um, that are going to Knoxville, get them, um, you know, acclimated to the system and ready to play, you know, Tennessee is going to be a lot better football team. Uh, you know, they have Derek Ainsley, Alabama's former a defensive backs coach is, um, you know, their um, coordinator now. And it's going to be interesting to see what the defense looks like under him. Um, but, you know, when it comes to that week, um, you know, you're going to have a lot of a lot of storylines with Jeremy Pruitt. Ainsley will probably be brought up. But, you know, it, it's just a matter of can Jeremy Pruitt, you know, get these guys playing like he wants them to. And if he can, it's going to be a lot more interesting game than we've seen in the past. Yeah, and Jim Chaney coming over from Georgia as yep. the new offensive coordinator. He'll be expected to help take Jerry Guarantano to another level. But I think Chaney, first and foremost, needs to look at protecting Guarantano maybe more so than we've seen in the past. And that means Ty Chandler in the run game, Tim Jordan is a part of that, perhaps highly regarded freshman Eric Gray. Got to come up with some ways to protect Guarantano maybe more so than Tennessee has been able to in the past, or it's not going to be the preferred homecoming of choice for uh, head coach Jeremy Pruitt uh, when he accompanies the Vols to Tuscaloosa on October the 19th. The very next week, Arkansas comes to Bryant-Denny Stadium. Uh, The Hogs, part of that 12 straight loss club with the Vols uh, when it comes to this Alabama series. Chad Morris in year two in Fayetteville, two and 10 a year ago in his debut season, didn't win an SEC uh, game in 2018. Uh, The quarterback position, I guess, Charlie, for Arkansas, of particular interest with a couple of grad transfers impacting that situation. Yeah, I mean, they definitely took advantage of that transfer portal. Um, You know, you have... Ben Hicks from SMU and, and Nick Starkle from Texas A&M, uh, you know, who got beat out by Kellen Mine, they're both in Fayetteville now. And so I, I think with, with both guys that, that we saw uh, in last year's game, Ty Story and Cole Kelly, um, they're not there anymore. They've transferred to Western Kentucky and Southeastern Louisiana. Uh, it, it's going to take these guys a little bit of, of time to, to get acclimated, and that's what this offseason, preseason springs for. But um, I think they're in a better situation with the quarterback position than they were um, a year ago, even though these guys are, are coming in in new faces and, and in a new place. So um, there's going to be a lot of new faces uh, on this team. Um, you know, they they have um, a lot of young players, I think, are going to be stepping up into key roles. And, you know, Trey Biddy from from hogsports.com, which is Arkansas's uh, 24-7 side, he said that, you know, this is a direct quote from him, but not only did Arkansas not have a quarterback who could consistently distribute the ball in 2018, they didn't have many wide receivers who could do much with it after the fact. And so they're going to be looking for some some guys to step up. Um, you know, they have guys like Chanel and uh, some other guys that are going to be in bigger roles in this offense. And um, I think that Arkansas is going to be better, but not much better. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's nowhere really to go but up after a 2-10 and 10 season, 0-8 in SEC play. Uh, but, you know, facing 
um, you know, the SEC opponents they're going to be facing, um, it, it's going to be tough. They don't have a very impressive non-conference schedule. They have Portland State, Colorado State, San Jose State, and Western Kentucky. They face Kentucky and Missouri out of the East. Uh, so it, it sets up favorably, but, the, you know, the, the teams they got to go against in the West, um, you know, I don't see them, you know, beating really any of those teams. They might surprise somebody, but it's not going to be Alabama. You said it, and Vegas has a win total projection for Arkansas right now at six, and I think that may catch some people by surprise, but you outlined it. The cross-divisional opponents are favorable for Arkansas, uh, and that non-con is uh, it's not much. So there is the potential, certainly, for Arkansas to at least double its win total from a year ago when it won just two games, uh, but to get to six... Yeah, it might still be a little bit of a reach, even with four non-conference gimmies or what look to be as close to gimmies as, as you can get. Uh, there's another off week for Alabama following that Arkansas game, I guess, as someone who works in the, the media and covers a college football team on a day-to-day, minute-to-minute, second-to-second basis. You're not opposed to two bye weeks in a season, are you, Charlie? I but uh, I really like the one uh, before the LSU game too because it's during Halloween, so you can let your hair down a little bit and maybe not be uh, you know on your phone and computer all day that Saturday. But um, I do enjoy that. But you know, it, these these bye weeks come at the perfect time for Alabama before the A and M game and before the LSU game. And I think if you poll um, you know ten random Alabama fans on the street. Um, you know, I think they would agree that A&M and LSU are the, the most difficult opponents on their schedule. Um, you know, the Auburn game always scares Alabama fans, but just from what, um, you know, the potential of teams, I think what people are expecting for these teams to do this season, you know, A&M and, and LSU uh, probably pose the biggest threats to Alabama, and they are going to be playing both of those teams uh, coming off a of bye week. So I don't think they could be much happier about that. LSU, as is typically the case, will be coming off uh, a bye week of its own. There's the, the Tigers' second bye week of the season as well. And LSU will just have hosted, prior to that second bye week, Auburn in Baton Rouge and what could very well be a regime-defining outcome for either Ed Orgeron or Gus Malzahn. As we know, Charlie, Alabama's won eight straight in this series with LSU, dating back to the 2012 BC title game in New Orleans you know Joe Burrow and what is now a more experienced receiving core return you got Grant Delpit Christian Fulton a true freshman corner and Derek Stingley who is already drawing rave reviews uh, down in Red Stick Uh, it's another talented group of secondary performers even with Greedy Williams moving on Devin White moves on from the linebacker position but pretty much everybody else at that spot uh, is back. I guess the question remains, though, can the Tigers score? And I mean, literally, uh, after being shut out 29 to nothing last November in Death Valley, you know, scoring points, regardless of quarterbacks, regardless of coordinators, head coaches, uh, it's just been a major, major problem for LSU in this series of late. Why will that change, or do you think it will change uh, in this next meeting between the teams? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing for this game because you, know, you mentioned the defensive side of the ball. Uh, on both sides, they return eight players respectively. So uh, so LSU actually has players returning. I feel like every year that we're, we're talking about the Tigers, you're talking about the draft and how much that affected their roster. But outside of Devin White and Greedy Williams, 
um, you know, the, the Tigers only saw seniors leave for the program, or leave the program uh, this offseason. That, that's really big. Um, and you mentioned some of those young players that are going to be uh, coming in. Derek Stingley, the cornerback, obviously. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of attention on him. And then you have former five-star running back John Emery uh, could prove to be an immediate contributor for the Tigers as well. So you have that group of experienced players that's going to be there. They're going to know uh, at order on system. They're going to know the ins and outs of an SEC schedule. And then you have these talented young players uh, coming in. It's it's a it's a different um, feeling, I guess, just for this roster uh, this season. And, but I think a lot of that uh, hinges on you know what happens with Joe Burrow. You know he was the new face last year. Um, you know transferring in from Ohio State, but now he's the starter. He's going to have a full off season, a full spring, a full preseason. Uh, you know, to to be with the team, to continue to develop those uh, relationships, that chemistry with his receivers, to emerge as a leader. Uh, if he isn't already, I'm pretty sure he is. And, you know, he's going to have a lot of playmakers back, save for uh, tight end Foster Moreau. So um, can that offense take that next step? You know, you mentioned some of the new weapons around him and, and John Emery, um, you know, running back. Um, or they're going to have some some talented options. Running back Justin Jefferson's a talented wide receiver. So, um, the pieces are there. It's just, can he be the guy that leads them, um, you know, over Alabama and, and to the place where Tiger fans want them to go? I think that's the big question. Um, I don't know if he is, um, you know, we saw some, some good things from Joe Burrow last year, but you know, the inability to score against Alabama, um, you know, NLSU at, at, uh, Tiger stadium, uh, left a lot of fans you know, disappointed. And, uh, with the game being in Tuscaloosa this year and, you're wondering if he can take that next step. They, they might be disappointed again. You know, it won't be talked about because it'll be about Burrow and the receivers and the passing game. But unless LSU can produce some semblance of a running game against Alabama, it's going to continue to be a problem for the Tigers because Burrow does not possess the ability to hurt you with his legs, at least not on a consistent basis. And so if you can't run the football some and you're constantly in these long yardage situations and Terrell Lewis is healthy and Anthony Jennings is healthy and Ayabi Anoma is emerging as a star edge performer to go along with Raekwon Davis and the things that Alabama should be able to do with its pass rush and the improvement we're expecting on the back end, you know where to find Joe Burrow on third and eight. You know, on third and eight, you know where he's going to be. And you don't have to account much for the quarterback draw or the the dual threat nature of quarterbacks that we see more and more in college football today. So, you know, it, it won't be talked about a lot, but unless Emory or one of these other backs can legitimately give the Tigers something in the run game, I think it's going to be more of the same for the most part for LSU in this series. Now, the very next week, Alabama travels to Starkville, a place where a couple of years ago it was a close shave. Alabama fortunate in a lot of ways to get out of uh, uh, Starkville uh, two seasons ago with a win in that crazy night game uh, a few years back. Uh, the last meeting between Alabama and a Dan Mullen coached uh, Mississippi State team. Nick Fitzgerald moves on from the quarterback position. Charlie, is it going to be Tommy Stevens? Is it going to be Keaton Thompson at quarterback? Kylan Hill is back at running back. Uh, he gives you some dynamic playmaking ability there, but you've got some losses on defense when you talk about three 2019 first round picks. 
that have moved on. There is some star power. Cam Dantzler, I think, when you talk about corners around the Southeastern Conference, he's going to be right at the top of that discussion. But year two under Joe Moorhead, hosting Alabama as the season progresses into mid-November, do you anticipate offensively, maybe as much as even defensively, State having some things figured out by that point? Uh, or is this another case where, you know, State seems to be sort of uh, at the bottom end of trying to ramp back up for a run in two or three years? Yeah, I mean, I think the offense is going to be the most interesting thing. And and the biggest question mark is what happens at quarterback. Um, you know, Tommy Stevens, you've heard some good things about him. Uh, he was at the Manning Passing Academy coming over from Penn State. And I think they have some options, though. Uh, you know, Keaton Thompson uh, is, a, is a talented player. And, um, you know, he started a couple of games and has had, I think, 18 career touchdowns. Um, you know, there, there's a guy on campus that's a relative to an Alabama player. Uh, Jalen Maiden's the younger brother of Alabama safety, Aaron Maiden. So, um, you know, I, I think that. You know, Keaton's the incumbent, but you know they're going to give these guys some some uh, opportunities, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Tommy Stevens start the season uh, behind center. He's coming from Penn State, where Joe Moore was before, and uh, he's a talented player. But I, I think, uh, while I do think that is a, a big aspect of this team and their overall success, um, you mentioned replacing those guys on, on defense. Uh, that's going to be really tough. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons, Montez Sweat up front, and, and Jonathan Abraham, so, or Abram, who's going to be uh, with Oakland in the as a member of the Oakland Raiders with with Josh Jacobs. So, you know, those are guys that <laughs> when you when you look at the stat sheet, um, you know, for them, they were all over the place. They're at the top of, of many categories, and they helped Mississippi State lead the league in, in rushing defense, passing defense, scoring defense, and total defense. And um, you know, it's a it's a team that's going to have to have some guys step up. Um, you, know, you mentioned, you know, Cam Dantzler, he's a talented player. Um, you know, defensive lineman, you know, Gary Green was also drafted. So they're going to have to replace some, some guys up there uh, up front uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, a guy like Errol Thompson at linebacker though. Um, you know, he's a, he's a player that I think can um, make up for some of that, maybe be more of a vocal leader. And um, you know, he's a, he's a guy that you know, had nine sacks or nine tackles for loss and three and a half sacks last year. So, uh, that production from a, a pass rush standpoint is going to have to improve. Um, there's just there's a lot of question marks for me. Um, they have a lot of guys returning, but it's a it's a team that you know finished last year with an eight and five record uh, with a quarterback like Nick Fitzgerald, who a lot of people uh, were really high on, and all those all that talent on the defensive side of the ball. You lose all of those guys. You lose uh, Charles Huff and. Uh, Brian Baker to Alabama, the assistant coaches are now in Tuscaloosa. So uh, for me, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I almost see them taking a step back this season. Yeah. Um, you know, they have the talent there, but it's just the talent that they lost kind of outweighs that for me. Yeah. A year ago, eight and four in the regular season with what state had from a roster standpoint, understanding that it was year one under Joe Moorhead and you're transitioning there. Eight and four seemed like an underachievement for Mississippi State. I think if State goes eight and four in 2019, if you're a Mississippi State fan, you'll feel a sense of relief in relation to Joe Moorhead because eight and four a year later could very well be uh, defined as overachieving for this next Mississippi State team. The following Saturday, it's Southern Conference Saturday at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Charlie, you know it, you love it. 
The Catamounts of Western Carolina come to Tuscaloosa. Alabama leads that series surprisingly 4-0 and has outscored WCU by a combined 201-20 to in those four games. Um, interesting to note, Western Carolina was the uh, debut opponent for Alabama back in Nick Saban's uh, first uh, game as head coach of the Crimson Tide in 2007. Um, I guess if you're Alabama, Charlie, the best thing about this matchup is that Western Carolina doesn't employ the triple option like other Southern Conference teams, such as the Citadel from last year and then Georgia Southern previously, Georgia Southern now at the at the uh, at the FBS level. I, I guess that's the 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 one one shiny, and, and it gives you a chance to get some guys healed up. I would think. Yeah, um, the no triple option. I know Nick Saban will be breathing a sigh of relief when this week comes. <laughs> but you know, in breaking down these opponents from a week by week basis, I have to admit that I always skip the FCS opponent just because you know it was tough to find stuff on New Mexico State. Go trying to find uh, some beat writers that cover these FCS teams on a consistent basis. It's it's hard, and I just always just kind of overlook them. I know um, you know if I were to tell Nick Saban that, I'd probably get a good. Um, you know, tap on the podium, I roll, and, and a scolding. But um, you, you look at it, they're a team that, from the FCS ranks, finished with a 3-8 and eight record last year. Um, you know, they, they played North Carolina. They got beat 49-26 to 26 in their season finale. And uh, I don't expect that score to be anywhere remotely close to what we see um, you know, the, the penultimate game of the regular season. So um, I, I expect Alabama to win this game heavily. Handily, and I'll see a lot of young players you know, get in the game. This is going to be a, a game where you know some of these freshmen, because of this new uh, trend or this new redshirt rule, they're going to get their chance to to play in the fourth, maybe even the third quarter. And um, it's it's going to be one of those games where the stadium's probably not that full. Yeah, you're you're right. That's an interesting aspect from the redshirt rule standpoint. If you got some some young guys or guys in general at that four game mark going into WCU, maybe hold them out, but if they're if they're two or three games uh, of playing time, then then that's potentially an opportunity to get them uh, on the field as you ramp up for Auburn at Jordan Hare Stadium the very next week. Uh, it's been a thorn in the side of the Alabama Crimson Tide. There's no denying that Alabama one and two in its last three trips down to the Plains, and in those two losses, because Auburn is transitioning once again to a new starting quarterback. It's interesting to note that Auburn got the job done in those two wins over Alabama with first-year starters at the quarterback position, Charlie. Um, you know, when you look at this Auburn team, though, specifically, uh, are the other pieces, you know, we're going to talk a lot about quarterback. We're going to talk a lot about Bo Nix and Joey Gatewood and that competition. But when you look at Auburn as far as the pieces that you need to have, even playing at home, to compete and perhaps knock off Alabama. Do, do you see that with this Auburn team? Um, I, I think so. Um, you know, Booby Whitlow's back at running back. Um, you know, he's a guy that he you know, rushed for nearly 800 yards last year. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that um, is going to be sharing the load with, with Cam Martin expectedly. And, you know, when they have that one-two punch out of the backfield, that's usually a, a big deal for Auburn. But I think the biggest thing, and, and this is, um, you know, what we were talking about a little bit ago with, with LSU, is in the trenches, Auburn returns a lot of starters. They have 12 starters overall coming back. And majority of those starters are on the offensive and defensive lines. They have all five starters back 
on the offensive line. Uh, the defensive line-wise, you have Derek Brown, Marlon Davidson, and Nick Coe coming back. The only starter that's not is going to be Dontavious Don Russell. So the experience that they have there uh, is going to be beneficial for you know uh, breaking in a new quarterback. Obviously, this is going to be uh, the last week of the season. So whether it's Bo Nix or Joey Gatewood, they're going to be uh, a lot more comfortable than, and, than if this was earlier in the season. Uh, having that experience up front certainly helps. Um, you know, they can, you know, protect those young quarterbacks and open up lanes for those running backs, and they can apply pressure with the guys they have up front. So, um, you know, Auburn has, um, you know, decent roster returning. Um, you know, when it comes to playmakers, though, on the offensive side of the ball, uh, they're going to have to have a lot of players step up there to help out those young quarterbacks. But, you know, it's it's in Auburn. Um, you know, they have, uh, you know, those guys up front. They have some talented players uh, behind center and. If everything goes right, you never know what's going to happen in that stadium. I haven't decided yet if the fact that Auburn returns its offensive line pretty much intact is a good thing or a bad thing, because that was a real sore spot for the Tigers a year ago. Uh, I do have a lot of confidence in Auburn's quarterback situation, especially by that time of year, being in a good place, because I think in terms of skill set, Bo Nix or Joey Gatewood, both fit more of what Gus Malzahn really wants from that position in that offense. In other words, they can make plays with their legs. They can be central figures in the run game if it comes down to it. Couldn't do that with Jared Stidham. So unless you had a guy like Kerryon Johnson that could serve in a workhorse-type role, uh, you, you didn't have the benefit of the quarterback. Uh, in that power spread approach. I think both Knicks and Gatewood give Auburn more of that. So there you go, 12 games in the regular season. Charlie, Vegas has its win total for the Crimson Tide at 11 games. Now you got to factor the potential for an SEC championship game appearance into that. Where are you going? You going over the 11 or under the 11 for this Alabama team, Charlie? I'm going over. Um, yeah. You know, we, we talked about it in the beginning, just the, the schedule. There are some bumps. I think South Carolina uh, early will be an interesting game, but more so, you know, Texas A&M, LSU, and then, you know, Auburn at the end of the season will be the test for Alabama. But I think they um, overcome those tests. I think they get back to Atlanta and probably another matchup with Georgia. And then uh, in all likelihood, get back to the college football playoffs. So, yeah, I'm going over. Yeah, I'm going over too, and I'm think I'm thinking Alabama. Just sitting here right now, without the foresight, the benefit of being able to to see into the future where it comes to injuries and potentially some other issues. Uh, I think Alabama is a clear favorite in each of these 12 games we just previewed for you. Now, with that, we're going to shift gears. We're going to go to the Built by Bama online podcast with Charlie Potter here on the Built by Bama online pod. Uh, we have a question, a couple of questions from Zegger Bama 99. Uh, we appreciate that, sir or ma'am, for your question uh, on this week's pod. Uh, the first one, which of the players in the summer enrollee class do you guys see playing meaningful snaps? Who do you got from that standpoint, Charlie? I think the, the first guy that jumps out is Trey Sanders. Uh, I know we've spoke ad nauseum, whether it's here on your radio show, on the board, on the side, whatever, um, of how much Nick Saban left that door open in spring uh, for the number three back to be that, that role to be seized by one of these freshmen. And, you know, Trey Sanders, former five-star, he's healthy. Uh, he's on campus and a guy that I think can take that role uh, behind Najee Harris and, and Brian Robinson. 
Uh, I think the guys on the defensive line, when you look at um, what we saw in the spring with DJ Dale uh, working at, with the ones at, at nose tackle, I think those some of those young guys can maybe get a rotational role, guys like Byron Young, uh, Ishmael Softshire. Uh, we saw Braylon Ingram. Um, just the way that he's listed, he's gained a lot of a lot of weight, um, probably good weight, just because he was a much smaller guy listed as a defensive lineman, and that's something that they wanted him to do was get his weight up, and he's done that. Uh, and then you look at the defensive backs. Um, it's it's going to be it's hard for me to imagine uh, when these young guys may be cracking the starting lineup just because of what Alabama returns. It wouldn't surprise me. We've seen a lot of true freshmen play in the past, whether it's Mickey Fitzpatrick, Ronnie Harrison, uh, Patrick Sertan last year. But a guy like Jordan Battle, uh, just because they have a lot of depth at corner, I think the safety spots maybe where somebody could um, you know punch through and maybe play alongside. Uh, Xavier McKinney maybe come on in a, in a dime situation, and so Jordan Battle I think is a player that um, you know ha- will have a good opportunity. Maybe a Demarco Helms too, maybe playing the box because he's a he's a bigger safety and a hard hitting safety. So those are just some of the guys that come to to mind firsthand. But I think a lot of these guys, whether it's summer enrollees or the guys that are in the spring, are going to have opportunities because a lot of them, you know, talking to, to the summer enrollees before they got on campus, they all have the mindset of coming in and competing. They know that it might not be. Um, in the cards this year, they're going to be, uh, they came to campus ready to compete and ready to, to compete for playing time. Yeah, I agree with all those. And, it, you know, it's, it again, we're talking specifically summer enrollees. So uh, guys coming in on the heels of a, a large group that we saw in the spring, 15 in all. And I'm with you. I, I still think there's areas where on the defensive side of the ball, especially, you know, you can come in and compete. And that includes the defensive line, uh, the secondary. Who knows? Maybe Christian Harris gets up to speed quick enough as a summer enrollee to jump into that inside linebacker mix. But uh, still plenty of areas where these uh, summer guys can perhaps help out. Uh, if not early in the season, then as the season progresses, no doubt. Uh, second part of this, these two questions, who do you expect – on this Alabama football team to have a breakout year in 2019. Yeah, I, I saw this on the board and I've been mulling it over and a few players came to mind. First off, it was LeBron Ray, the, the defensive end. I think, um, you know, after serving in a rotational role and, and doing some good things last year and, and being in the system, um, you know, for three years and, uh, you know, gaining some good weight, I think he's going to be someone that's poised to, to do some good things like defensive line opposite of, of Raekwon Davis. Um, another player on the defensive side of the ball, depending on what Alabama wants to do with this secondary, I think a guy like Josh Job uh, could be a player that we see a lot more of this year and, and could be a, a player that breaks out. He he had a pretty good game in the national championship game. Um, after replacing Savion Smith, he was, he was tasked with a hell of a challenge um, going out there and defending those Clemson receivers and Trevor Lawrence. But I think he held his own pretty well. And um, I think they – uh, they're expecting some good things out of, of Josh Job. It's just a matter of what they do with with Trayvon Diggs and and Patrick Sertan and Shaheen Carter. They have some options there. And then on offense, uh, you know, we mentioned the running backs earlier. I think Brian Robinson is a guy that's going to have um, you know a lot more carries. Going to be able to run some with that first team offense and and show what he's capable of. And I think a lot of people are expecting some big things out of him this year. So those are the three that came to mind. I'm sure there's there's others, uh, but um, you know, just when it comes to players that maybe. We're just backups last year. They're going to have some opportunities with the ones this year and they could have big seasons. Those are the three that came to mind for me. I'll go with Miller Forrestall on offense. Not sure he's going to be a 40 catches type guy like Irv Smith last year or 
average more than 16 yards per catch like Irv Smith did last year or find the end zone as much as Irv Smith did a year ago. But I think he has similar ability, a similar, similar skill set. Uh, and I, he's got a quarterback that we've seen isn't afraid to spread the wealth. So assuming he is able to stay healthy and understanding that right now he appears to be the clear-cut number one option at the tight end position, I think Miller Forstall as a redshirt junior has a chance to really become uh, a more well-known name anyway among this this Alabama football roster. And then, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to go with Ayabi Anoma uh, as more of a complimentary player maybe early, but you talk about the opportunities he should have uh, on a situational basis um, in the different looks that Alabama can put out there with its pass rush packages. You know, it's been a tumultuous year for Ayabi Anoma. There have been some times when it appeared as if perhaps he was headed home back to the D.C. Uh, area. But uh, assuming he is in a, a good place with Sal Sanceri, uh taking over as the outside linebackers coach from Tosh Lapoy, I think Ayabi Anoma, not so much on an every down basis perhaps, but again, in some of those obvious passing situations, uh, has a chance to impact things pretty well. Well, Charlie, I think we covered it on this latest edition of the Built by Bama online podcast. Anything to add before we get out of here? No, this is a pretty good one. This will get people maybe from Tuscaloosa or, you know, around the <laughs> state to this. They can listen to this on their drive to Hoover next week if they have an hour commute. There you go. I think we're right at the one hour mark, which means it's probably time for us to uh, get on out of here. As always, we appreciate your support of the podcast. Again, Please give us a subscription. Uh, spend a subscription on us. It's free, best I can tell. And uh, leave a review there uh, while you get a chance as well. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for your support of BamaOnline.com and the Built by Bama Online podcast. We'll join you again real soon right here on Built by Bama Online podcast. So long, everybody.